Welcome to Story Smack. This is episode 69 of Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. My name is A.B. Sigler, audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And my name is Scott Sigler, number one New York Times bestselling novelist, and I just want to say, be excellent to each other. And back. Okay, so back with us this week, as ever, is movie Empty Set Movie Maven, Rob Otto. How are you today, Rob? I am excellent. Most <laughs> audacious. <laughs> Most triumphant. Cool. Been, it would definitely be bogus you if you were not. Bodacious all your life, Rob. All your <laughs> that, life. that is true. Can we get A to say the number of the story smack 69. again? 69. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of people in the chat room, or, or if you are listening to this at a later date by audio, there are a lot of folks in the chat room. You can watch this at Facebook Live every other Saturday at 2 p.m. We do it live and then we drop it into the podcast feed eventually. Yes. We are hanging out with folks in the ch- in the podcast uh, chat room and they have all um, sort of cottoned on to the idea yeah. that we picked uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure because Friends it is Story Smack 69. 69. <laughs> uh, now, A did not do 69 the way you do in the movie. Or- but I, 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 I prefer the way A said. I know, I know. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta I do what you gotta you, do. Well, I was gonna say something nasty there, but I'm just gonna let it go. Uh, the, dudes, you know what? Uh, I paid for a goodly amount of my college with uh, voiceovers and commercials. I and stuff. You paid for good money. Oh God, with sixty nine. No, no. However, however, I could have bought a house and a car by the number of people who asked me to also do phone sex. Get a little right. bit of over here. That's all right. Guys. Well, so. so we we are, though, um, we are drinking because it is, you know, oh, episode yeah. 69. Mm-hmm. Uh, we on the West Coast are drinking something called a Preston. And a Preston is something in my Preston um, is uh, chartreuse and gin, green chartreuse and gin and soda water. And Scott is not going to like it at all. Like, I'm not gonna... at all. <laughs> Look at his face. Here we go again. You know what it is? Most heinous. Bogus. <laughs> <laughs> oh. If you like um, herbaceous liqueurs like Aperol or Campari or whatever <laughs> uh, like that, you would also probably enjoy this. Scott does not. What did so. you call What kind of liqueurs you said? Uh, herbaceous. Oh, that that sounds straight out of Bill and Ted. If you enjoy herbaceous liqueurs, this bodacious <laughs> beverage is for you. Yeah. All right. It and, is most bodaciously herbaceous. And uh, Robin, right. Robin, what are you drinking, buddy? Well, I went. Uh, I wanted to honor some of the historical figures because, of course, uh, this movie is just a giant history report. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I first looked at a Napoleon, but I didn't have what it nice. took. There's Love a Billy work. the Kid cocktail, oh, but wow. I didn't have what it took. Um, I was afraid to look at what a Sigmund Freud cocktail would be. <laughs> smart, I imagine definitely smart. I would be drinking that out of a giant phallus. And honestly, I'm a I'm a bachelor in his fifties. There's already enough questions out there about me, so we're just going to move forward. So. I settled on the Lincoln, which uh, has whiskey. It's a delicious yeah. drink. whiskey from the south, maple syrup from the north, um, some grenadine to represent the blood spilled in the Civil War, and some bitters because I just felt like it needed it. So yeah. there you go. There's, there's These are great drinks. I love it. You know, this yes. is the thing. When we first started to do this, you guys who are watching or listening, um, we had uh, Scott and I had been just married, and we had gotten as a gift something called Shaker and Spoon, where they deliver everything but the alcohol for drinks one time a month. And then you make like eight drinks. Um, however, there we go. 
And Robbie had it too. Robbie had Shaker and Spoon too. But however, Mm I I much prefer Rob has started to lean into thematic drinks to go with the movies. And it's way more fun. (laughs) So we're going to (laughs) continue. It's way more fun. So we're going to continue to do that. Well, had you not suggested, A, had you not suggested the Napoleon, I wouldn't have even thought to go in that direction. (laughs) So this one's. Oh, a Lincoln is such a. I didn't even think of the Lincoln, and it's such a delicious drink. Yes. This tall hatted uh, Illini is for you. Is that (laughs) the kind of a drink you have when you go out, say, to a theater? It might be. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, just you only oh, have one, soon? though. Is that too soon? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's too soon for their Lincoln besides, death joke. I don't think so. <laughs> don't. Besides that, Mary Todd, how was the play? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, but that drink was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right, right, let's do it, baby. So uh, this story, Smack, obviously, is about the 1988 hit Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh, we often take a look back to the movies that we all watch because we're all 50-ish in our high school years. And that this turns out to have been a very fantastic uh, throwback. This is yes. a great, great movie. Great Super movie. fun. Uh, FDO, can you give us the movie guy intro? I can. Bill and Ted are high school buddies starting a band. However, they are about to fail their history class, which means Ted would be sent to military school. They receive help from Rufus, a traveler from the future, where their band is a foundation for a perfect society. With the use of Rufus's time machine, Bill and Ted travel back to various points in history, returning with important figures to help them complete their final history presentation. Nice. There we go. Uh, we have had a handful of folks join the chat room. My brother Jude, Rob Otto's best friend, says hello. My best friend. Oh, oh Matt Bowler, nice to see you, Matt. Matt. Bowler in the house. David Roman, you made a, what? You made yep. a cast. That's awesome. He's, uh, he's fired up. He's and fired nice up. to see you too. So we are going to talk a little bit about the financials, Let's right? It. Let's give it. We are. I always like to start with financials, which is always interesting to see, especially these enduring cult classics, mm-hmm. how they did in the in the theater and in the VHS world. Yeah. Sometimes the movies that last a long time made no money, and sometimes pretty obvious the blockbuster smash hits have stuck with us. Hey, tell us about the box office. Uh, so uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure came out in 1988. We'll discuss in a little bit. It was slated to come out in the- 87, but its production company went bankrupt and they couldn't do that. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But eventually comes out in 1988. It was made for $10,986, million, $86.87, which uh-huh. uh, roughly uh, ends up being about $22.4 million in 2021 dollars. So okay. it was a good, healthy, That's a, midstream a plus, movie. Plus, yeah, not a little bit above indie, but still. Yeah, oh, for sure. And it's yeah. definitely got like power of a studio behind it, power of a production company behind okay. it. So it's a pretty okay. healthy budget to do, especially to do what they want to do. Not they don't get to do everything they want to do, but it made forty four point five million dollars in its original run at the box wow. office, adjusted to twenty twenty one. That's ninety point six million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, Not bad. Yeah, Not bad. and and since then in streaming and VHS rental and everything, uh, the last. Uh, verifiable figures I had I, I could find were from 2013 and at that point it had made uh, about 32 to 35 million more dollars in okay. streaming and VHS. Okay. General Plus two th- sequels. Yep. Uh, yes. Uh, general thoughts in the film. Robbie, overview. You know what? Bill and Ted are just nice, likable guys. Right? They don't seem to have a mean bone in their body and True. this is just 
This is just a movie about them yep. wanting to stay together. Another bromance movie where yeah. these two are just completely connected and a couple of nice guys that you want to see succeed. And when they do, it is most bodacious. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah, I also love about this movie and several movies that happen at this time in America, in America filmmaking, in America's filmmaking. Mm. This is a movie about two loser high school kids Mm -hmm. writing a history report. And it's Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. (laughs) Like, think about that, right? That's amazing. There's also... Back to the Future does this too. Back to the Future is huge in scope, and they, you know, I'm sure eventually we'll talk about that. They manage the actual making of the film in a way nobody ever has. To they can make the sequels, and Michael J. Fox mm-hmm. looks the right age, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That is a movie about a kid who can't fit in, so figures out how to save his fat. What like the, in the 80s? There, there's Weekend at Bernie's. There are all these weirdo movies, and Bill and Ted shine as. There is no reason for this. There's no political commentary for this. There's no, unlike Caddyshack, where they're sort of showing the class uh, differential, all that stuff. And yet, it's not only lovely, it's enduring. And I think it's because of what Robbie said. Robbie says, said, uh, you know, these are just good guys. Good guys. Trying to get their stuff together. And I, I think it works on that level. And this is the second story smack in a row we've done with good, likable, nice guys. We mm-hmm. just did Coming to America. And mm-hmm. Akeem's character, Eddie Murphy's character, again... Not not a mean bone in his body, just a nice guy. Of course, the settings are slightly different, but For sure. just a nice guy trying to do his thing. So it's kind of yeah, it's a cool. lovely late eighties thing that happens where we where we as a as a movie making society end up making these sort of quirky, not really harmful, not really life changing, but awesome movies. And I love that. And I love that Bill and Ted all these years later is still sort of uh, running the show. Okay, let's get into the cast. We'll lead off with Rob, but oh oh boy, hold on. Having all kinds of trouble today, guys. We had a lot, a lot of trouble with uh, guests. That's the problem. Let's go to actors. All right, and then we'll turn on our actors. Actors. That Which is a cast and be... crew, right? I think that's a whole separate department that turns on the actors. There we go. I'm, just I'm not sure that's officially. <laughs> that on the would have been Boogie Rob, Nights, which we about, didn't. Uh, watch. Tell us about Stephen Herrick. So Stephen Herrick's the director, mm-hmm. and of course, as soon as you say actor, I go to the creative people. Yep. Um, so at the point they made this movie, um, Herrick was pretty much unknown. He'd yeah. done Critters, which is a, which is you know the the low budget knockoff of Gremlins. Okay. Right. Just a just a low budget crappy, you know, little it movie, right? Yep. Little yep. monster movie. Mm, love it. And then. And nobody's going to give him a huge film based off of Critters. I can tell you that right now. But he goes on to make some wonderful movies. I mean, I can't imagine there's anybody out here that doesn't like all these movies. But I'm sure there's at least one of these that you could say, oh, yeah, that's a great movie. I mean, we're talking uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, The Mighty Ducks, Three Musketeers, Mr. Holland's Opus, the live action 101 Dalmatians. Plus, he has gone on to direct and produce television shows. Most recently, he directed some episodes of the new Hawaii Five O, mm-hmm. um, and he's also the executive producer and directed some episodes of the new MacGyver. So, yeah, he's had a long storied career. Story and I'm career. telling you, he it didn't happen because of Critters. <laughs> it happened <laughs> because of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Hey. Hey. He, he, do you have something to say about him? I do, yeah. yeah. Uh, I also, I love, one, I will say that his Three Musketeers is absolutely not historically accurate and is without question my favorite Three Musketeers ever, oh, owing yeah. a lot to Oliver Platt. I mentioned that yeah. when we did Executive Decision. But also I'll say um, 
he uh uh, uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead is yet another one of those movies I was just talking about. Like, why did that make money? And yeah, why are we? Wa- and and he, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Like, all of those are beautiful and cute, and he is a powerhouse behind those. So he teamed up with another couple of relative rookies in the industry, screenwriters Ed Solomon and Chris mm-hmm. Matheson. Hey, tell me about those guys. Oh, gosh. This is such a fun... I, I, yeah. I hesitate to call it a love story, but it is. It's a bromance. So this is a lovely thing. They they meet in improv. Oh, I forgot to... Pa- did I call up those? Yeah, okay. I did call. I thought I might have missed Robbie's photos. Um, my screenwriters Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson were students at UCLA when they formed a student improv workshop with a few of their peers and came up with two guys that know nothing about current events or history, talking about current events and history. This photo that you see right now is the first iteration of Bill and Ted on, and you can see him doing that in that second photo of them doing Bill and, Pro, wow, uh, Bill and Ted during cool. improv. Isn't that super cool? Yeah. Um, they turned it into a stand-up routine. Originally, it was Bill and Ted and Bob, but the guy who played Bob um, didn't he didn't actually play, so they cut him. He was late for you know practice. What? He was late for practice, they, too. They should go back in the future, back to the past, <laughs> and, and, and tell Bob not to make such a stupid-ass decision, right? Because we could be talking about him 40 years later. Um, so, so uh, Chris Matheson is the son of legendary sci-fi writer Richard wow, Matheson, who wrote that. I Am Legend mm-hmm. and a bunch of classic episodes of The Twilight Zone. Originally, this story was supposed to be a sketch film uh, with the time travel, uh, just one in each episode of each one, sort of episodically with each one of those of many stories. Mm-hmm. And it was the elder Matheson, it was Richard Matheson's idea that the time travel story become the movie itself. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Solomon and Matheson wrote the script over the course of four days. Dude, four days. Four days in 1984. Amazing. Four days. Now think about that. They workshop it for three years. Uh-huh. Write the script in four days. Super important to write a script. Workshop it for three years before they start shooting, and I don't think so they, they knew that. Had, they most have worked out before they started the script. Well, that's probably. what I. The reason I'm bringing it up is because you're a writer, right? So you write. Sometimes you have a whole, like a, a whole fully formed idea mm-hmm. that pops into your head, and you're like, okay, yep. I'm going to make a space football, mo- uh, space space football series, and yep. the work that goes into making that something worth reading or viewing is. That's you know, the big part uh, of it. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge part of that. And they've so. been doing it as a stand-up routine for a few years as well. So they probably got some good ideas of what sure. worked and what didn't work. Yes. And that led to the script. For but sure. Yeah, they also not only did they write it A in four days, they wrote it by hand. On paper. On paper. That's what I was just while doing. They're, while they're sitting in coffee shops. I mean that's <laughs> it's that's insane, insane to me. It's but like, of course that's you, what they would do in eighty four. <laughs> we almost should do a movie about Solomon and Matheson uh, because no one would believe that that's true. They wrote it in four days at a bunch of different coffee shops. Come on. Yeah. And so the nice thing about this, the nice thing, one of the nice things about this movie is all the people who made it what it is have come back for the sequels. That's fun. And it's super Mm -hmm. fun, including the writers, including the director, of course, including Bill and Ted. Uh, So that's lovely. Chris uh, Matheson continues to write Bill and Ted, of course, but mm-hmm. also writes a lot of things in the oddball genre. Okay. You are quite familiar with his work. Ed Solomon also continues to write Bill and Ted, but um, is you're super familiar with him. He wrote the new Charlie's Angels that McGee directed. Okay. He wrote Now You See Me, the uh, uh, Jesse Eisenberg uh, magic movie. movie. That's a weird movie. Yeah, Super Mario Brothers, and some little film, little franchise you might have heard of called Men in, in Black. Black. Uh, <laughs> you might have heard of it. Maybe. It might have been something. I will real quick jump in on uh, Now You See Me, which is the most confusing $300 grossing $300 million grossing movie ever where the the crux of the movie 
is magicians doing impossible magic on stage when you were sitting in theater watching people up on a movie screen who can do absolutely anything in a movie screen. And Thank as the you. audience, you're supposed to be super impressed with this magic. Like, whoa, did you see what they just did, Bill? That's crazy. And like, it's a movie. You can do anything. Yeah. It's, yeah. Supposed to be, it's supposed to be practical magic. And they do it with special effects. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, that's I want to punch that movie in the face. Uh, uh, that's, a lot of movies punch in the face. <laughs> Thank you. Although, God, that's a stupid-ass movie. A little, a little aside, there are great movies about about magicians, uh-huh. that is probably not, not one of them. But that's not one of them. That's not one of, one of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but of course, the the giant Hollywood kingpin to come out of this movie was none other than Ted Theodore Logan, Ted also Theodore known Logan. occasionally as Keanu Reeves. Uh, did he ever go on to do anything but Bill and Ted? He did. He's done a couple of things. We'll talk oh, about some. some right. You, know, you some might have small, to look him up. I'm not yeah, sure about him. Some Keanu. Com- some community theater. He taught, <laughs> he taught at a junior college for a little while. He taught Shakespeare. He did, did do little, Hamlet. He it was little, lovely. Uh, he did a little off-Broadway in Poughkeepsie. So it's uh, it's very good. Summerstock Poughkeepsie. That's off, off-Broadway, off, off by Broadway. the way. But his first movie was Youngblood alongside Rob Lowe, which Rob Otto and I saw in the theater. I, that's why mm-hmm. I put that in the script. I figured strange, you guys would have absolutely been in the seats for strange a hockey, hockey movie. movie. Of course, Keanu has gone on to play Neo and John Wick, and he's starred in action movies like 47 Ronin, Point Break. Something of an enigma in Hollywood. Ken has made a bunch of art house flicks, My Own Private Idaho, The Last Time I Committed Suicide, Feeling Minnesota, and A Walk in the Clouds. Ted's wild hairstyle was Keanu's idea, and he was anal about it being as wide as they could make it before every take. Which is, you can tell Look at young the shots that it's wider than in other ones. I mean, yeah. I feel like he's got bozo hair going on. It's shooting out so far and on the side of his head. And it's insane. Like, he didn't he's shot. just in there with like Aquanet fluffing. Exactly. You just know that's what's going on. Dude, I was a girl with hair in 1988. I can guarantee you I got to take off my headphones for this. He did this. Like dug up under here and just shook a lot so -hmm. that it would get that weird bowl shape. Look, I'm already doing it right there. (laughs) (laughs) And then sprayed, right? He had to have the spray. Well, you put it on your fingers and then once you got it all the way out there, you sprayed underneath and and then it poked you in the head when you went to sleep at night. And it hurt. Nice. And uh, yeah. this definitely, this is a hairstyle that was replicated in Dumb and Dumber, which is yeah. another romance <laughs> sure. about two incredibly stupid dudes. Well, yeah, so there's sure. clearly a little influence there. And then, of course, as Keanu Reeves has gone on to become one of the biggest box office stars uh, currently going and is just a huge action star, massive. His The other guy, as I've called him, and they had to correct me a couple the times. The other guy. Alex Winter playing Bill S. Preston Esquire. We got to go back for a sec okay. to Keanu, of course. You guys all know and love Keanu Reeves for a million reasons. I do have this one little thing. I know I've mentioned that I worked as a blockbuster entertainment specialist in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I met, I wore it flame retardant vest and I wandered around the blockbuster video where I worked on Friday and Saturday nights and I made movie recommendations. Okay. And I also got, you remember those little um, mass market paperback books that were like five inches thick and they were movie reviews from Blockbuster? I got to write some of those or right. at least submit, really? submit. Yeah, I got to submit anyway. And I was super into every Keanu Reeves movie that I could possibly watch. And so I, there are some, if you have one of those blockbuster books, his Little Buddha, that's me. His Feeling Minnesota, nice. that's me. Nice. His um, 
My Own Private Idaho. That's also me. That's probably from My Own Private Idaho. <laughs> who, wrote, who wrote the uh, one for River's Edge? That's what I want to know. Oh, definitely not me, I don't think, because I couldn't <laughs> see. That's one of the ones I couldn't actually see at Blockbuster. I had to wait until they were streaming for that. <laughs> Scott, I missed... did you know that you had a writer in the family? <laughs> I did not know. No, oh, I you well, know. yeah, really I do. Nice. I mean, if I need that's to pick really that nice. up for as an income stream, one it's, of us should be a writer, very, I think. It'd be very helpful <laughs> to have one writer in the house. But I actually, and I called it the Keanu Quest. That was my whole MO. I was like, I will watch every movie I can possibly watch. And why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? And I got to say, you guys, the uh, the phrase spirit animal, Keanu mm-hmm. Reeves, mm-hmm. as a professional creator, Keanu, Re- Keanu Reeves is the one I think in a, in a situation where there's dodgy reviews or there's some, you know, some mm-hmm. poop being flung around on the Internet or all of the writers are piling on to another writer, etc. I kind of think like, what would Keanu do? And Keanu would be like, oh, I'm sorry you're all so upset. Hopefully you guys can work that out to everybody's satisfaction. Like, he, would, yeah. he does not get, he, he's not a jerk. He's a nice guy. He appreciates his fans. He's, he's not falling off the deep end. He's, he's just such, he seems like such a wonderful guy who yeah. appreciates mm-hmm. the fame he's had. Well, and I think he also, it's an interesting thing because um, this is maybe going to be controversial. I will ask you to listen to the entire thing I'm about to say. Okay. Keanu Reeves is a mediocre actor. He just is. I know. I'm with, I'm with you, right? I'm with he's not Derek Jacoby. He's not uh Olivier, whatever. What he is is a good everyman journeyman actor. And I and I use the word mediocre to start with to get your attention. I actually think he's a good actor, but he's a good actor in a mid-range. And what he has done with his career is gotten very good at choosing the things that interest him in that mid-range, right? He does. He chooses not to do, I forget which movie, but he walks away from a big box office, maybe Speed 2 or something, to do uh, Hamlet in Ontario because mm-hmm. he wants a chance to play Hamlet before he dies, or uh, Shakespeare before he dies. And now he gives away a ton of money, he gives away a ton of, of energy and help and assistance, he buy, he gets to know by name everybody on the crew. So I think he's earned the America's boyfriend role that the internet calls him because yeah. he's really good at knowing this is his job <laughs> and he needs to do a good job, but he uses this job to pay for the things that he loves in his uh, life, like doing Hamlet for next yes. to nothing. We will move on to Alex Winter, but A, we do have a great comment from the chat room. David Lamb wants to know if you have a picture circa 1980 in your blockbuster advisor because <laughs> I also would like to see that. I, I would probably like that actually do have a blockbuster entertainment specialist. I'll also probably have to dig up a photo of me in a, uh, an Oreo cookie suit too. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. All right, let's talk about uh, the other guy. The other guy, Alex Winter. Alex, Alex Winter. Winter. You know, so here's the thing, of course. Uh, Keanu Reeves goes on to regret, uh, not regret, but hope that he, the last thing he ever is remembered for isn't Ted Theodore Lewis. Yeah. And Alex, you got to remember, his career didn't automatically take off after this. And it was this movie was the biggest movie of his career for a number of years. So, yeah, he was worried that uh, people would just remember him as Ted Theodore Logan. And Mm -hmm. thankfully, that is not the case. It's just one of the wonderful things we remember him by. For sure. And yet Alex Winter. Yeah. is without He's question Bill. as an actor <laughs> known as Bill S. Preston Bill. Esquire, That's and That's rightfully so. He does a beautiful job with this. This is uh, 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 one of his very 
few acting roles. Yet he's gone. He goes to NYU Film School. Okay. He was a child Broadway star. He'd been in lots of films on Broadway or lots of uh, shows on Broadway as a kid, right? And he wants to be a director and a producer. And so he does this. He and Keanu Reeves hit it off right away. They have great energy right away. Uh, Keanu gets cast first, and that is part of the reason that uh, Alex Winter gets cast, because their chemistry is so good. To this day, they are very, very good friends, and they both understand the movie changed their lives for the better. And Alex Winter, you know, it's... Especially in today's sort of visual society, you may think like, oh, that's too bad. He didn't get any. But he has been a prolific, prolific okay. member of the Hollywood community for years. He just wants to direct, you know. Mm. And he has been back in acting. He's done some acting. But um, he, uh, st- like I said, started his career on the stage. And then um, he did, I think in 2020, the Panama Papers came out. You may have heard of it. It got a 100% fresh review on okay. Rotten Tomatoes. That's his documentary. And that's amazing. And he's so he's a documentarian now and he is moving into more and more of that. He has, you know, come back and done some acting, but he's a prolific um, commercial director, a prolific documentarian. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I will say er, to my earlier point, there were 24 finalists once Keanu Reeves was cast. Keanu Reeves was cast first. Yeah. As Mm -hmm. Ted Theodore Logan. Okay, There were 24 people on the list including Sean Penn. Wow. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? Bill S. Preston would have been a lot crabbier. And yet, it was because of the rapport between the two of them, um, Keanu and Alex Winter, that Alex Winter gets the job. Okay, let's move on to uh, one of the great comedians of all time, Robbie. Yeah, I had all these great Alex Winter pictures. Tell us about Mr. George Carlin. Yeah, George Carlin. I mean, you want to talk about genius, superstars. I, I, I even still feel like he's was underappreciated at the time I'd and agree. still I'd underappreciated. Yep. I mean, this guy, multiple Grammy Awards, Emmy, uh, Emmy Awards, American Comedy Awards, uh, Cable Ace Awards. He won the prestigious Mark Twain American Comedy Award, which is only given out to like the best comedians in American history. And um, his seven words you can't say, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, on radio and television actually became they're now part you can go to the national archives the the US Supreme Court heard an argument about nasty things being said on the radio and whether that's legal or illegal his seven words are right in there. I mean, they, they like use part of that skit to yeah. explain to the Supreme Court how crazy it is to think that there's words out there that you can't say on the radio. So yeah. it's it's interesting that um, and, and again, Every other comedian will probably tell you that George Carlin was one of the first ones they ever heard because he was recording back in the late 50s into the early 60s, yep. prolific recording, multiple Emmy wins for spoken word albums and that kind of stuff. He was the hippy-dippy weatherman, which is mm-hmm. one of the players mm-hmm. exactly right. I mean, yeah. first made it. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. 
follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. It's interesting, though, that he didn't appear in a lot of movies. I went back and looked at his IMDb, and I thought he was in a lot more movies than he was. You can see a lot of his voice work. He did mm-hmm. voiceover work almost from the get-go, right? Okay. But, yeah, some of his, his movies, he's not really there. And he was by far not the first choice to play Rufus. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They were looking at more serious actors because they thought Bill and Ted would carry the comedy. Sure. And Rufus, they wanted him to be more serious. So they were looking at, like, Sean Connery, <laughs> um, Charlie Sheen, for some reason, not sure. And they also started thinking, well... He's supposed to be from a future that's built on music. Uh-huh. So why don't we look at musicians? Makes they looked sense. at Ringo Starr, which is funny because I swear the appearance of George Carlin. If you look at Ringo Starr back in the late sure. 80s, that was his beard. That was his, that was yeah, his, sure. his sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. he, he was you 35 years ago, Scotty. I'm just saying. Right? <laughs> um, they looked at Roger Daltrey nice. and they had hoped to get Eddie Van Halen because oh they thought be that would be funny, right? Mm-hmm. right. Yeah, Friday and Eddie funny. Van Halen. And then Eddie Van Halen plays Rufus. So um, they just couldn't get anybody to take this role. They had done most of the filming before they had even cast Rufus yet. They had to shoot around him. And you see, he's only really in a couple of scenes in the whole movie, but they okay. had to shoot around him. So then they started thinking about um, comedians, right? Right. And, uh, uh, Scott Crowe and Bob Court, who are some of the producers, they had just produced Outrageous Fortune, which had George Carlin in it. And so they're like, well, why don't we ask George if he'll do it? And they're like, he probably won't. It's right, some stupid course. little high school movie. Right. And George was like, oh, yeah, I'll totally do it. And they're just like, holy crap, we just landed <laughs> George freaking Carlin for this movie, right? So and it's, it's really interesting because Keanu Reeves, knew who George Carlin was. Yeah. He was so starstruck the first Everyone day he showed Everyone our age knows who, back then, everybody knew. Mm-hmm. Who, of course, oh God, was, yes, absolutely. We, we, we did his routines, we did his accent, we talked uh-huh. about George Carlin we, all the time. We owned uh, vinyl albums. Yep. What? Yeah. We owned oh, absolutely. vinyl oh, yeah. albums. Yes, yes, yes. We had, we, 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 you know, would drop the needle on the record back then and so hear George Carlin Keanu, swearing Keanu was just as impressed by him as we yes. were. Okay. 100%. So he goes up the first day that Carlin's on set and he's like, Mr. Carlin, because you know how, you know, reverent and Keanu Keanu Reeves will be. And he's just like, Mr. Carlin, I'm a big fan. I would love to get your autograph. So Carlin takes it. 
He writes on it, hands it back to Keanu, and it says, fuck you, Keanu. <laughs> or, hey, Keanu, fuck off. That's that's what it said. So he didn't even sign it. And no signature. Keanu has kept it to this day. It didn't even have George's signature on it, but that's what he wrote. So very cool. Um, and uh, it's really interesting to note. So early screenings of this movie, people didn't know what the hell was going on. Okay. Because it started with Bill and Ted and right. their history report. And then out of nowhere, there's like this future thing. And the three most important people in the world sending George Carlin back. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what What the hell is, what, what left turn did this just take? So they decided we need some sort of intro. Carlin wrote that intro of him as Rufus explaining what's going on. Right. He wrote it himself. Okay. You know, I love that so Bowling much. scores are way up. Mini golf scores are way, way down. down. <laughs> Even the dirt is clean. You know what I mean? So that's all Carlin because he's a freaking genius. He's a brilliant and guy. they just put him guy. in a room and they shot it and they went, yep, that's it. Now we have our intro. And yeah. that's what sets up the movie. So now it makes sense. And it's so beautiful because when you look at George Carlin in every production still, which there aren't many, or any um, marketing, which we've seen a handful of, he is this dour, serious guy. Mm -hmm. He actually becomes in his comedy more cynical, more acerbic, more sharp, more truthful, more more atheistic, more, you know, let me tell it how it is. But at the time that he films Bill and Ted, he's not that guy. Okay. But when you see him now in those, in those uh, publicity shots, Mm -hmm. he looks exactly like the George Carlin. He was then, but grows up to be once he gets. Rufus was a pre George Carlin, George Carlin. Yeah, I do think so. I think this is George as a young man who he couldn't be in public quite yet. Right. Cause he had to build his cred up a little to start being the real George Carlin. And yet he's, but in Every publicity photo is so stoic. There are times with with things that have happened, especially politically over the years, where Mm -hmm. I've sat back and said, damn it, I wish George Carlin was still alive. (laughs) Because he would have the perfect turn of phrase to let everybody know how stupid that thing is. I mean... Can you imagine if George Carlin was around the last four years? Yeah. I'm just saying. It's all I'm it. saying, right? I mean, God, that would have been wonderful. It would have been, but, yeah, would have been sure. great. Yeah. But I do, okay, so I do honestly think that this film holds up super well. Sure, we just mm-hmm. watched it and enjoyed the crap out of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It holds up super well. Um, mm-hmm. And there aren't a lot of, um, there. I, I can't think of a single problematic thing, you know, because yeah. of course they're also looking over the last 500 years of history. So uh-huh. it's a pretty 35,000 foot view, so to speak. Um, and a lot of the things that, that are so good for Bill and Ted working together, um, but as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, it turns out that that's a little bit of a reflection of the screenwriters, right, Robbie? Yeah, yeah there's no about, doubt about it. These these guys came directly out of the brains of Solomon and Matheson, right? I mean, they, they had played these characters. They had lived in these characters as stand-up and as improv, mm-hmm. right? They were able to work off the cuff and come up with their catchphrases and their lines. And so they were looking for very specific people. And it's interesting um, – when you look back at it, Matheson looks more like, you know, like like Ted and and Solomon looks more like Bill. Mm-hmm. And so when Keanu Reeves and, and Alex Winter got cast, they auditioned for the opposite roles because they right? looked more like those two writers. It's unreal. Right. And then the writers basically said, well, you know, he's Keanu is closer to you and, and, and uh, Alex is closer to me. So they cast them. In the opposite roles. Was this than what after they, they had? Did they already have Keanu and they did that, then found an, an yeah, no, Alex? Here's the thing they cast Keanu, but Keanu thought he was Bill. 
And when they cast Alex, they thought he was Ted. Oh, wow. Right? Wow. The actors did. It wasn't until they showed up to try their costumes on that uh-huh. they realized they were wearing the other guy's costume and went, holy crap, I think I'm Ted. And I think you're <laughs> Bill. <laughs> like, are, are they you? had been preparing for the opposite roles. But so this they, is like another great uh, 80s uh, movie, The Fly. When they teleported yeah. in, uh, one wound up as a half-human, half-fly. One wound up as a half-fly, half-human. It's crazy. These things. Yeah, I was thinking more like one of the body swap movies that were very prevalent in the 80s. But sure, Scott, let's go with The Fly. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. So um, um, during pre-production, so this is before... They were cast when they okay. were still trying to figure out. Keanu was locked in, and they were trying to figure out who his opposite member was going to be. So Solomon and Matheson are at the McDonald's that are across from where they're holding the auditions. And <laughs> Alex and Keanu walk in. Okay. And they're just at McDonald's as two actors hanging out because they had, like, as, as A had said, an instant connection. They've been lifelong friends. Yeah. They had so much in common, right? And they were walking and just screwing around with each other. And the two writers are like, holy crap, that's Bill and Ted. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, we got to cast that, that guy so because these two are perfect together. So it was a side trip they took together to a McDonald's that solidified Alex Winter being cast in this movie. And as they say... The rest is that's, history. That's pretty See, incredible. History. See what I, because it's uh, a, a yeah. about No, we history. were with you. It's super oh, funny when you explain it. It's way funnier. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Well, uh, at least Scott thinks yeah, so. Well, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Rob and I have been explaining jokes to each other for But I for do also years. love the kismet of these two great um, writers who go on to independent careers. They don't mm-hmm. write as a team for their entire, Not really. their entire careers. In fact, they only write these things together. Yeah. Um, but they are completely comfortable. They're, nobody's gunning for their ego. Nobody's doing anything. They're just grabbing lunch while they can. They're still, because it's the 80s, they're still very on set and involved. Mm-hmm. And legit, like, are like, uh, those guys look a lot like us. And... There you go. Like, don't know because they're uh, writers. They don't know. They're no, already uh, cast. Kelly McCarl yeah. in the chat room asks, uh, without Bill and Ted, would we have ever gotten Wayne's World? No. We also would not have gotten um, Dumb and Dumber. I mean, yeah, I this, don't think so. I, I can't think of an earlier movie unless you go back to like the Jack Lemon, Walter Matthau days. I mean, there are lots, but those, but those guys are different. Are, those guys or, are or grown like up. Laurel, Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, Laurel Hardy. I was about to say, there's tons of. Stick, but just casting, let's cast two really stupid dudes. And yeah, it, well, let's, happy and uh, successful. T- let's let's uh, create a a bit with two stupid dudes because bit, yeah. none of those dudes are stupid at all, and they have You're to be willing kind. to do no, but You're they have to kind. be willing to do that. I don't think that any of those actors are at all no, the, act, uh, the, the characters, not the actors. Yeah, th- but what I'm saying is, there's also sometimes an ego, so you have to be willing to like you have to be willing to be Jim mm-hmm. Carrey, which I appreciate. Jim Carrey is Jim yep. Carrey today. But when Jim Carrey first started to do Jim Carrey, he absolutely appreciated he may end up being Tiny Tim, who had a small, unique career. You know what I mean? That's a great point. There's there's also a lot going on here with incredible musicians they put in a movie that is ostentatiously a lot. There's a lot of music in this movie. Oh, I love getting this band back together. Let's get into this. Hold on. And, you know, I love this because until we were doing the research to write this show uh, and watching it... um, it was fascinating because I didn't connect that they're trying to put a band together. 
Yeah. And they cast a billion musicians. Oh. It's beautiful. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Smart. I didn't First understand all, that at all. Let's talk about uh, the brilliant Jane Weedlin of the Go-Go's, who plays Joan of Arc. Uh, I just, just listened to a book about the punk rock scene in the late 70s, and I wish I can't call it the title, but the Go-Go's, were, they were insane. They were just insane yeah. human beings, and they were rock and roll to the hilt before they were even famous. Mm-hmm. Jane Wheedle is the primary songwriter of the Go-Go's, and she had some very funny moments, despite not saying a single word in the movie. And she, there's a, if you guys are watching at home, there's a picture of Jane way back when with Belinda Carlisle. They both look like they're eight years old. Um, well, they also look like punk rockers. They were heavily punk. They were a huge part of the punk rock scene. I know. When the Go-Go's, the Go-Go's blew up. punk. When the go goes blew up, they got a lot of accusations of selling out. But mm-hmm. according to Jane, that that they were already playing pop rock songs at super high speed. That's what their punk was, mm-hmm. and then that just kind of metamorphosized as they got older. How do you feel about became, her playing a Rick? Uh, it's great. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's great. They're just in it. You, you, you may not, if you're not a student of music, you may not appreciate what the Go-Go's did and what they're able to accomplish and they're incredibly tight well-written pop songs Go-Go's were an absolutely brilliant band and Jane is still with us I think oh yeah absolutely absolutely oh yeah and still still creative beautiful angry and happy all at the same time absolutely and then of course I think it's it's interesting hold on let's stay on Jane Weedlin a minute and the Go-Go's because she might have been attracted to this project because Bill and Ted formed a band Uh before they knew how to play instruments yep that's how the Go-Go's got together. The mm. girls were all sitting around one day saying, you know what? We look like a band. We should just start playing music. And then they kind of went, well, what instrument do you want to play? And they went, okay, you do this, you do this, you play the drums. Jane, you pick up a guitar. And they learned how to play right. as they were already a band, which, of course, is the story of the Wild Stallion. I so, know. It's great. It's and they, easy. I'm hoping, were excellent to each other. Uh, they were not. I bet they were. Well, <laughs> until they were later not. years. They were not. They really they were, were not. not. I, I was trying to slide that in. To each other. <laughs> they, they were not. They were not. They uh, did, though, party on, dudes. They partied on heavily, there was a heavily, lot. heavily, yes, heavily. There was a lot of that. Back before people knew the long-term ramifications of cocaine, the Go-Go's were finding out the long-term ramifications of cocaine. And then, of course... What would this movie be without main future dude Clarence Clements, my uh, saxophonist for Bruce Springsteen's The E Street Band, who is mm-hmm. sadly no longer with us, which is uh, which is yeah. pretty pretty crappy. Yeah. But it wasn't just him. We also have is the the triumvirate of the super cool dudes. We had Motel's lead singer Martha Davis, Tube's frontman Fee Waybell, which mm-hmm. is great. Mm-hmm. They did ask Eddie Van Halen to be in the movie. Eddie was busy being goddamn Eddie Van Halen. Except yeah. he said afterwards he would have loved to be in the movie it, time given, which is lovely. No, he would have loved like, to be in the Wild Stallions. They, yeah, that's he right. wanted to be in the movie. <laughs> he wanted to be in the band with Bill and Ted. That's what he wanted to do. So good. And why not? Because Wild Stallions are essentially... Van Halen back in the day. Because then they would have had a triumphant video. They would have had a most (laughs) most triumphant video. If you guys don't know this, I am a gigantic, gigantic uh, Bruce Springsteen fan. And I'm a New Yorker, so I might be the only one in this room who's a gigantic New York, New Jersey girl, right? And I loved (laughs) the E Street Band so much. And I went to so many shows when I was young. Oh my God, so lucky. And it's such a heartbreaking thing that Clarence Clements is mm-hmm. no longer around. He was so, so enigmatic and so powerful and so creative and so fun um, that I hate that he died so young. Uh, a yeah. person who is still with us, though, is a person who did most of the, a lot of the music and all of the close-in guitar work, which is Steve 
Stevie Salas. Ah, he was yeah, the yeah. hand double for Rufus. <laughs> with a, Rufus is incredible playing straight up balls out rock at the end. Uh, guitar Player Magazine named Steve Salas one of the best 50 guitarists of all time. He's an accomplished musician and composer as well as a TV and film producer. Still putting out records. Yeah. Still doing his thing. Played with Rod Stewart. Played with a bunch of other. Look at up, how badass. Opened up for Joe yeah. Satran and Joe Satrani's biggest tour ever. He was the opening act. So the, uh, just straight, straight dripping rock and roll out of everyone. Yeah. Orifice kind of a guy that you but if you like of. if you like the the TV show The Voice he is the music uh the music director for mm. The Voice okay. I mean that's that's one of his productions that they're working on so yeah he's still involved in music all over the place and it's a beautiful thing to consider because so often we see people who have um mainstream uh, front of stage I'll say success uh-huh. um <clears throat> have like Rod Stewart, of course, maintains his persona, uh, his whole professional career. Uh, Stevie Salas, he he has no like front of stage yeah. persona for actual years. You wouldn't recognize years, him if he was walking down the street. Yeah, even right. to this day, and yet has never not been a multitasking. Uh, mm-hmm. hardworking creative in Hollywood. And it's gorgeous. It's exactly how it should be. I also have to talk about this photo, you guys. Come on with this suit. Come on with this mm-hmm. 88 suit. This is crazy, 1988. It's crazy, it's crazy. Look at those shoulder pads. They don't need shoulder pads. <laughs> you guys are What's going on? You guys are listening to the podcast at home. It is Salas and George Carlin, I believe, mm-hmm. dressed up in uh, silver lame suits with denim, denim uh, button downs up to the neck. <laughs> And incredibly huge shoulder pads, and nothing could be more. Yeah, it is definitely the Rufus outfit. The Rufus coming back from the future times to try and fit in in 1988, and it's beautiful. I love that he's had a whole career, and you know, still can get to go to the grocery store with his kids if he chooses to. Uh, I would like to before before we move on, Scotty, and I didn't warn you about this. I want to talk about one more actor, and you probably don't have a picture of him, but. Al Leong is the guy that plays Genghis Khan. Mm-hmm. Al Kabong oh, yeah, Leong. Yeah. Yeah. He is one a long-term stuntman and pretty much every badass, if you need like a, a kick-ass Asian ninja assassin henchman, yep. Al Leong played him, right? He's been killed by Bruce Willis. He's been killed by Mel Gibson. <laughs> I mean, he was in all those action movies in the 80s and 90s. He was the guy, right? He ate the candy bar in Die Hard. Yep. Um, he was the guy that shocked Mel Gibson um, in Lethal Weapon. I mean, this, this is the guy. Oh, yeah. And he has just been a superstar for decades. So I at least wanted to get his name out there that that he is awesome and has always been he's awesome. Been and in, was he's awesome just as been Genghis in absolutely Khan. everything. Too. Well, everything, and right? yeah, yeah everything. the second uh, Scott is working to call up a photo if you're watching along with us. But the second you see him and if you're listening on this podcast and you want to just look up, uh, Leung, you absolutely should. Al Leung is, you've seen him 10,000 times and he has made your cinematic life. He, he your was in Big Trouble life, in Little China, yeah. which yeah. we did a, a few story smacks ago. You have yeah, made, I mean, he has made your cinematic guy. life so much better, I tell you yeah. guys. And, no doubt about and it. as soon as he gets it, you here know we go. Him, you he's know this it. gentleman. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good point. I'm glad you, <laughs> you added him. that. Exactly. Yeah. And no one has messed up a mannequin better than Al Leong. With a baseball bat. Come on. When the head goes in the basket, come on. That's fantastic. I actually sort of love, this is another thing we were talking about, about about Bill and Ted, is um, there's this weird, like, the um, the uh, mall cops are just sort of standing there, like um, no, uh, okay, no, and well, they watch him shoot the shot. Let's be honest <laughs> when it comes when it comes to police work, those mall cops 
do an excellent job. Well, they yeah. realize there's a mentally imbalanced person in the sport. He gets sort of like, I'm going to need some backup. We got a lot. Yeah, that's one. right. Exactly. He waits for you better backup. get the real cops in they, here. All the all the cops in every all the mall cops in every day's <laughs> movie try to talk people down. Are like, hold on. Where, now, why do you think you're saving for it? Like just constantly. Like, <laughs> and and then when the chase is on, they do what they got to do in the ice ring scene. But overall, good police work. Pretty well, good no, and work. I'm with you. They literally, if I walked into a sporting goods store and Genghis Khan, who I didn't know was Genghis Khan, was destroying a mannequin <laughs> with an aluminum baseball <laughs> bat, I would stand back. A football back. helmet and a skateboard. Yeah, and I would stand. I would stand way back and be okay. like, um, "He's doing that." Yeah. There. What was that? minimum wage back then? Probably like three twenty-five, right? I'm just like, you know I what? Know. I'm going to take this it. hour off. I'll see you back in an hour for my three dollars and twenty-five. Rob and I, Rob and I have actually on and off been working exactly. on a. Uh, we've been working on a screenplay called Mall Pigs for uh, a couple of years. We haven't quite got decades. It did maybe? not take us. No, not just a couple of years. Oh, actually. good. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I know but you guys have been writing four days. If Rob and I were in the same area, we would have read it in four days at a coffee shop. I feel like paper. you guys have been telling you each other stories for oh, 50 years, we essentially. Have many, we have many, many, <laughs> many planned if we ever get around to it. Let's get on to, uh, let's talk about some of the, gen- let's move on to the general notes about this movie. Rob, give us one of your favorite backstories well, about this movie. Okay, I know we've only got like maybe 10 minutes or so left, so I've got to get this out there now. Because A said there's real no, there's really no problems or issues with this movie. Okay. Um, let me bring up one, and it really is an issue with all time travel movies. And I'm yeah, sure, sure when the writers and director put this together, they didn't think people would be able to have philosophical dis- discussions about the nature of time travel. Oh, right. But I want you to think back. When does Rufus introduce himself to Bill and Ted? So the the telephone comes down outside the Circle K. He gets out. He starts talking. Oh, yeah, Almost man. immediately, the second telephone comes down because there are strange things afoot at the Circle K. Yeah, sure. Bill and Ted from the future get out. Hey, and Rufus. they talk to Rufus and they tell themselves that, hey, this dude Rufus, listen to him. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> so that piece of information that that man's name is Rufus, where did it come from? Uh, the future. Because future Bill and Ted tell it to hey. current Bill and Ted. And then when they become future Bill and Ted, they tell it to current Bill and Ted. I so Rufus himself, Rufus he never... Name. He never says his own name. He never introduced himself. Where wow. did that knowledge come from? It came it's from just the conundrum it came of from time travel. The same place as the teleporting dropping trash can that defied gravity fell out of you nowhere. You do not like the trash can at all. Yeah. Exactly correct. Yeah. Like, yeah. what was that trash can? But here's the Remember thing. Remember the trash can, and then he mentally <laughs> manifests. That it magically appeared. Yeah. yeah. So, to be fair, uh, I will state. Uh, I was talking about sort of social issues, and yet you are completely correct. I will also say that we know from watching Bill and Ted that they <laughs> believe that they can absolutely secure all the that information later. They just have to remember to do it. That's great. Their entire lives up to that point do not support this this positive <laughs> yeah. at all. That they will that, that they, they will, will follow through. Yes, that they will follow through Which on the is, stealing of the so keys. I don't yes. mind so much um, that that Rufus doesn't introduce himself because I feel like that could be taken care of later. I also don't mind so much the keys. The keys are okay with me. Okay. The um, the um, uh, tape recorder. And the uh, trash can are a little mm-hmm. bit of a little bridge bit of too far. A little, little bit of leap. These I'm, kids. Yeah, I'm not sure we had tape recorders with timing pieces on them back in 1987. <laughs> I'm just very, saying. It's you, you kind of like most time travel movies. 
you kind of let a few things go. Fortunately, this one's mm-hmm. a comedy. It's much easier. Any serious time travel movie, I have yet to see one that isn't just a, a bag of steamy rubbish with some rat anus smeared in Where there. They, but let's, they, they tell you what the rules are, even if they make oh, Lo- Looper was by far the most ludicrous time travel movie of all time. No pun intended. But <laughs> my favorite my favorite hit on this movie or, or little tidbit on this movie would be I'm watching this movie and I didn't know this tidbit till Rob shared it with, uh, with A and I, where A and I watched this movie again a couple nights ago and I'm like, dude, that had to suck being in that phone booth with all those dudes. <laughs> it's like a phone, like, couldn't you get a little bit of a mixed cast in there? So when you're pressed in the phone booth, it's a little bit more fun. Turns out <laughs> the actors hated the scenes. They had to film in the phone booth for a reason I did not think of. Lord <laughs> they nicknamed it the Death Box because it had a serious funk they could never get rid of from all the body odor suffered by actors in heavy costumes. You got it. You take one look at Abe Lincoln in that movie, and after eighteen hours on set, that dude stank. That dude. Stank. Oh my god! And Genghis Punch. Khan. My oh goodness, Alien was fur? in so much trouble that entire oh, time because they were filming in Mozart, Phoenix. Mozart, his leader, wasn't on. I oh mean, yeah. Freud's wearing a wool suit. Beef oven. Beef oven is hair. wearing everything. And, you know? ja- and poor Jane, who probably was the least stinky one there, she was probably stinky. That heavy wool shift on and the leather, whole time. And leather gauntlet. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they were also filming in Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, standing yeah. in for yes, San Dimas. It's San Dimas, California. Oh, oh, my goodness. It's funny. So I definitely noticed this um, the second time Bill and Ted come down at the Circle K when they all have to cram back in. You can see there's condensation on the windows of the phone booth. You see it it again when they finish their history report and they all pile in. Because who knows how many takes the hot lights are on them. And there's condensation on the windows. That is pure body stank dripping down. A side story that relates to that. Uh, Rob and I wrestled together in high school. And that was Mm -hmm. not, and we did in the cafeteria. They rolled the tables, roll out the mat, go. We'd put all the mat, take up mat, put the tables back out. That we would go to lunch next day and we're like, I think this smells like uh, our sweaty Us. stink. Yeah. Then I wrestled in college and our wrestling room was one of, if you've ever seen a wrestling mat, it's in three sections. So three big rectangles. It was one rectangle with padded walls all the way around. It was a, an area beneath the stage of an old college stage. Like the orchestra pit? Yeah, it's like an orchestra Sweet pit. Jesus, you and guys. it had all the hot water pipes running through the top and then there were two regular sized little air vents that was the only ventilation. And coach, Coach Jer Klein, would be like, ah, ah. He was like, he's crazy. Like, ah, somebody put some, put some cellophane over that and duct tape it shut. And we would what? wrestle. We would wrestle with 45 college wrestlers, most of whom were cutting weight wearing rubber suits or whatever. And there would literally be sweat dripping down from the ceiling. We would have sweat mm-hmm. condensating and dripping down okay. while we tried to work out. We had to mop the mat every 10 minutes. It was nuts. Okay. That's what that phone booth was like. Okay, now, now act in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Robbie's going where I was going. Number one, gross. Number two, oh my God, gross. Are you kidding me? Gross is number three. Number four is that was an orchestra pit and you needed those air vents. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, tell us, tell us this one right here because uh, we, we teased that earlier. Um, the yeah, I didn't show you see what you were pointing at. Oh, the uh, six, principal yeah. photography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So as I mentioned earlier, um, the this whole movie was shot in 90, <clears throat> late 96 and 1987 or sorry 86 and 87 but the movie actually came out and was uh um 
replaced in 1988. Mm-hmm. And why that happened is um, the financiers of the movie, financiers, financiers, I'm not trying financiers. to know. Financiers. Uh, is uh, where the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group... And the they, money. Just say the money. Yeah, the money folks. And they continue to be money folks in Hollywood. But this particular version of them, uh, the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, went bankrupt right as the film finished principal photography. So they had designed this in their bankruptcy to be a straight-to-cable release. Okay. But Orion Pictures and Nelson Entertainment bought the rights in 1988 for a 1989 release. And when they did, they had there, I, I don't remember any of these, but they had the actors go in and just um, uh, re-record ADR overdub, um, overdub okay. the, every time they said 1987, so ah. that it would be prescient and you know it'd be present in 1988. I don't remember these, but apparently, if you know this and you're watching, you can see them say 1987 with their mouths, and they actually say 1988 with the overdub to account for that. Um, yeah, pretty much all the actors never thought that anyone was going to see this movie. They, they just thought, well, it's canned, it's done, it's in turnaround, it's never going to come back out. They went bankrupt. Nobody's <sighs> going to pay money for this garbage. Right. And yet, you know, again, 40 years later, we're still talking about Turns it. Turns out yeah. to be a, a bastion of joy that people Absolutely. still enjoy. Uh, going the- back to Rob's uh, Rob's pointing out uh, Al Leong. We just got to do uh, hold on here. I got to call this up. For you guys watching at home, a little beast mode picture from Al Leong, all, all ripped up. Hanging out by right. his surf, surfing van and mm-hmm. ready to whoop some ass and everybody steals his curl. He's, mm-hmm. He knows what's yeah, up. Yeah, he's he not. He's not. All right, Rob, any, any final thing to say about this movie? Um, I would just like to point out that the the actors who were playing the um, the the time you know ripped people they all hung out because their scenes are relatively small. So mm-hmm. when Bill and Ted were shooting all their scenes, they got to hang out and they became pretty good friends, right? But they do some really good subtle little character things that yeah. make a lot of sense. I mean, Mozart doesn't hear the sound. I mean, excuse me, Beethoven, Beethoven doesn't Beethoven. hear the sound when the when when the um, phone booth appears. Everybody else hears it. He just keeps playing because, of course, by this point, he was deaf, right? Uh-huh. And Freud, oh, um, yeah. three or four different points it. in the movie, Freud is holding something phallic, uh. right? <laughs> no, he's, 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 when he's, when he's vacuuming, he's got the tube, he's got the, you know, the, the, uh, the corn dog that he's holding at the mall that once oh, the I girls start calling him a geek, he actually makes it slowly go down, right? And, <laughs> straight up, and then it slowly goes down. I mean, just subtle little things from the actors great. that made their characters come alive. Yes. Yeah. And clever stuff. They did a good job. They really did. And the character, the actors themselves, all of them, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter included, um, Really did. You know, Keanu Reeves was 22 years old when he got cast, when he Mm -hmm. shot this movie. And Alex Winter was 21 years old. Think about, if you're listening to this or watching this, think about who you were at 21 years old. It's insane that they made this choice and they did it so well. Um, I will say, adding to Rob's point, the script writers also did that. The water park where Napoleon gets in trouble and also gets the yellow zinc oxide on Mm -hmm. his nose is called Waterloo, (laughs) which I love. That's very great. Uh, I will. It was one, one thing I want to say here. Oh, well, get down what? to the end, Scotty. You got to do your word count, buddy. Don't you? you oh, we're going to definitely do the word count. count. Let's see. Yeah. And that is thank you, Robbie. Uh, two things to say. Number one is the now famous uh, people do it all the time to impersonate them and is on the movie poster. The hand on the chest and the other hand out, apparently, according to Rob, was completely spontaneous. Come up with by the actors. It was not that. coached. That's wonderful. Yeah. Word count. 
Oh, characters the important say, part for the writer. Dude, 70 times. Excellent. 30 times. San Dimas High School football rules once. And apparently, uh, uh, fuck not one time, which is uh, usually nope. the, the count I'm looking for. But that's all pretty good. And tying this into the Siglerverse, if you have ever seen me at an event in person, you know this is my <laughs> my very, very favorite let us change the scene I need your attention thing to say is that I stand back from the mic. San Dimas High School football rules! And it tends to, <laughs> and it tends to work. And uh, so I love that we actually only, got to do the this. The only thing that gets more attention for me at one of our events is if is, I say 69. Uh, well, okay, the second... Is when she walks around in nothing but her blockbuster vest? We, is, that, if, is that it? That's all... Okay, mine is now way down the list. <laughs> if, if you guys ever get to see us live again, and if A shoulder permits, which I'm not sure it will... A getting A getting shot while she's running is one of the most spectacular prop balls ever. It's 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 absolutely nice. incredible. I yes. love it. Yes. All right. I did take stage combat uh, in college. Since you've got a dog in your lap, eh? I will take charge of this. Rob Otto, you you always bring you bring so much historical knowledge about oh, the world. Oh, so I movies. see what you did there. And it's always a good time hanging Whoa. out with you. And this episode was really excellent. <laughs> Non, 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 heinous. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Robbie, we'll see you uh, on the next one. I don't even know what the next one is. I don't know. We'll I don't even know what the right next there. one is. Yeah, yeah. I'll see you in two weeks. Two weeks, buddy. Sounds oh. good. Thank you so much, Robbie. Bye. We love you. Bye. Can you read that back? You good? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that is episode 69 of Story Smack. You can find <laughs> Scott and <laughs> you can always find Scott and I online. Uh, Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram, and his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I am at a real girl on Twitter mm-hmm. and at a dot real dot girl on Instagram. You can find us online at facebook.com slash story slash story smack, which we do update every now and then. We live stream story smack every other Saturday at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler, twitch.tv slash Scott Sigler, and youtube.com slash Scott Sigler. And story smack will be back on May 1st with Rogue One. Oh, that's right. Nice. Rogue One. We're on May Star the Star Wars. Be with you. On Star Wars Day, we're going to do what is in my opinion. Uh, close to best, Star Wars Day, yeah. Very close. The best modern, isn't it? Is it yeah. May the 1st? May the 4th be May with the 4th. you. Oh, May the 4th. Oh, we're, we're but we're going to do it on gotcha. the 1st. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, May the 5th be with you. We're going to go and do Rogue One, which is one of my favorite ones. And you and can if- also get an unabridged episode of one of my, one of my novels, serialized every week, Get them at iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or more. Just go to scottsigler.com slash subscribe for the links. And as a reminder, we also, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time, right where you're watching this, we do something called Sigler in Place. Sigler in Place is just an hour where we hang out with you while we're still in lockdown and chat and talk, you know, shoot the breeze and answer questions (laughs) and stuff like that. And our dogs show up. So join us if you'd like uh, for Stories Mag at 6 p.m. Pacific time every Wednesday until the lockdown is done. We hope Hope you subscribe uh, so that you can hear Scott's books unabridged and more Story Smacks goodness, more Sigler in Place goodness uh, in the future. And Rob, if you know our final tagline, join us in this. Until the next next episode, we will we'll talk, talk to you all, all real soon. Real soon. Real soon.
every five minutes. A transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.